Welcome, adventurer. Are there clues to be found in a city? Is there an enemy to be found at the bottom of some stairs? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon The descent was deep. Mela thought she could see the landing far below, but only she could. Her eyes functioned in the dark better than either of the dwarves or Ketri, which had always intrigued Colborn, given her human heritage. It was of particular interest to him, given her lack of memories from her childhood, the fact that she knew nothing of her parents or where she had grown up. Mela only had a few vague memories before the orphanage. She had never mentioned it, but she knew he kept notes regarding the source of her powers, which seemed different from all of the other casters amongst them. It was Mela's vision that put her first in line. In most circumstances, either Ketri or Sarkeesian led the way into potential danger. In this instance, Sarkeesian wanted to do everything possible to mask their presence, which meant a descent with no light. Which further meant, after the cover to the stairs was pulled shut above them, Rianok and Sarkeesian would be taking the stairs in complete darkness. She began, with Ketri so close behind that she caught glimpses of the tall woman's head leaning over her in her peripheral vision from time to time. Colborn followed several paces behind, Rianok's hand on his belt. Colfin was next with Sarkeesian last, hand on the tracker's shoulder. The first two stories down were on wood stairs, walls framed in rough, unfinished boards. The air was musty and damp. Just past the two-story mark, the wood fell away, and both passage and steps became hewn stone. All that could be heard was the occasional scuffle of a boot on rock. At one point, Ketri stifled a curse. Mela stopped instantly, listening to see if there was any reaction to the noise from below. The choked-off expletive had seemed blaringly loud. Five beats. Ten. Nothing moved. Mela looked back over her shoulder. Ketri was rubbing her head. A jut of rock at just the right height seemed the likely instigator for the outburst. Mela squinted at Ketri before turning back to start again. There were no side passages, nowhere to go except down, winding round and round a space not much bigger than themselves. The stillness of the air became palpable. It was hard not to speed up to go without care so as to be done with the stairs. If anything came from above or attacked from below, they would be extremely vulnerable. Eventually the stairs ended, and they reached the bottom without incident. 
with the floor below just ten more steps away, Ketri signaled for the others to wait. Mela summoned her blade into her hand, and Ketri drew her axes. Together, they took the last ten steps. The stairs ended in a cavern. It was an irregular shape, roughly eight paces in width and twice as many long. They stepped in unison out onto the floor, Ketri looming over her. Should there have been anyone to witness it, it may have been perceived as a strange being, with four arms and four legs, wielding two axes and a sword. But it seemed this area was empty as well. Mela stepped away from Ketri, taking in the chamber. At two points in the wall, natural passages led away. However, it was the heavy metal door at the opposite end that drew the eye. Nothing on the floor or ceiling seemed out of place. There didn't appear to be any corners or nooks in which danger might lurk. Mela nodded to Ketri. Ketri stepped back into the stairwell and signaled the all-clear. Their companions joined them. Gathered on the floor, Sarkeesian whispered, If there is no present danger, I think we can risk some light. Before the words had even finished, a burst of light originated from Rianok, a brilliant white radiating out from a dagger held above her head. The halfling's breath was rapid and shallow, her eyes wide. She was terrified. Mela took several involuntary steps toward her, sword dropping, free hand going up. Their eyes met. Rianok flushed at the recognition, but then her lips pushed into a frown. The cleric stood straight-backed and forced her breathing into a normal rhythm. Rianok looked away, taking a few steps deeper into the cave. Mela looked to Sarkeesian. The woman's face was calm as she made a subtle hand gesture, fingers apart, palm toward her. Let it be, it said before actually saying, just above a whisper, What do we have, Mela? Two natural-looking passageways, one east, one west, and then across the way to the south, there's a door. It looks sturdy, she replied. Sarkeesian drew her sword and rolled her shoulders. I'm of a mind to make a brief investigation of the side passages before dealing with the obvious. I don't enjoy the idea of leaving the unknown at our backs. She looked at each of them, brows raised in a question. One by one, they nodded an affirmative in response. They put down thirty gold for an aging loft apartment and workshop in an old industrial area that backed up to the part of the city known as the Promontory. Under the cover of dark on the first night, while Mela kept watch, Sarkeesian carved a small sun into the heavy threshold post next to the street-level door. Above the sun, she carved an S, to the right side, a C, to the bottom, an M, and to the left, another C. When she finished, she mixed some dirt from the street with some oil 
and rubbed it into the freshly carved wood in an attempt to age the new work. When they were done with that, they returned to the upper floor and hung a red sash that Sarkeesian often wore in one of the dingy windows. That night, and every night thereafter, they kept a candle lit in that window. It was almost always Mela that lit it. The carving and the sash were for Rianak and Ketri, so they would eventually find where they had taken up residence, and they could exchange information if need be. The infuriating part of this plan was they were not going to ask any direct questions regarding the Emerald Scarab. Instead, they were going to just exist in the city, keep their ears open, and hope that they caught some tidbit, some morsel of information in the ebb and flow of day-to-day -day life that led them to their quarry. The one worry they all shared was their mysterious friend from the woods. If they did hail from this city, they would be able to identify any of them, whether that be to the local criminal element or to the Emerald Scarab themselves. But there was nothing to be done for it. In the time that followed, Mela found herself wary of tall people, always paranoid their eyes were following her, that this would be the day their ruse was revealed. But that they never came Instead, they enacted their plan. The best way to make people believe you were scholars researching something was to actually research it. And Colborn was made for this. Though Roshan was no Borgian when it came to the amount of resiliums, libraries, and archives it contained, it was still a sizable city, and there was information to be had. And their given topic was a specialty of this region. The accounts and legends of the Zarlfus War were thick in the Shalshalis, as it was here that a majority of this war was said to have been fought. Beyond what was written, there were locals who claimed lineage to heroes from this war, several families still claiming to be direct descendants of one member or another of the Oregos Astra. The various citizens of Roshan possessed an oral history that rivaled all that was written. Mela, playing Colborn's chief assistant, went with him most days to gather books and scrolls, and it wasn't long before they were known in the various institutions throughout the city. For Mela, this was all just a diversion and every day sitting in and amongst one dusty building or another felt like torture. But for Colborn, it was readily apparent that he loved every minute of it, and that after only a day or two was truly enthralled with the legends and stories that were supposed to be their cover. Days often ended with Mela poking Colborn and pointing to her ear to indicate the late bell that was ringing outside. Sometimes he looked up, but many times he did not, waving a hand at her and mumbling, Just another off bell. She brought food and drink, made him eat it while he was engrossed in one thing or another. Mela truly felt if she was not here, the studious dwarf would read for days on end, forgetting sustenance and sleep entirely. 
Tedious as all this was for Mela, she loved Colborne, and it brought her joy to see him happy, to be in a place he wanted to be. But this also made her sad, made her wonder what had led him away from a life like this, a life of study. She had even made some gentle inquiries from time to time, but answers like he was doing what he was supposed to and don't waste a dram of worry for me, little girl, were all she got in response. While Colborne and herself spent time in study, the remainder of them began the process of becoming part of the city. Colfin and Sarkeesian scouted out local equipment shops and general supply stores that carried the things they might need to head into the Shawshallies on expeditions. They frequented local taverns, concentrating on those that catered to adventure seekers that were brave or stupid enough to enter the many ruins of the region in search of riches. Ketri and Rianak had different roles to play. Ketri, using the name of Gretch, was sinking herself into the poorer and more run-down regions of the city, drinking in dive bars, posing as a drunken brawler. Mela had found this ironic, as brawler would have been the first word she used to describe Ketri to anyone under normal circumstances, and it wasn't particularly hard to convince the woman that getting drunk was a good idea, either. So her cover seemed to be, well, to be herself. Not that she dared say this out loud. The woman may take hold of her braids and twist her head clear off of her body in one swift motion if she had said as much. Or she might have laughed. It was hard to tell with Ketri. Rianacht's role worried her most of all. The halfling was to become a thief to try to garner the attention of and insinuate herself into whatever organized crime the city harbored. Mela often woke from nightmares of Rianak running and running down a dark alley, pursued by shadowy figures wielding swords and daggers. The redhead had such odd idiosyncrasies about her, Mela was terrified she would mumble something under her breath say the wrong thing to the wrong person and wind up face down in some dirty street with a knife in her back. She hated the thought of Rianak being out there on her own, while she was safe with Colborne, Sarkeesian, and Colfin. It made her feel just a little bit better that ten days after their arrival they found an R carved under Sarkeesian's son next to the door. Two weeks later, Colfin and Sarkeesian reported seeing Ketri in a bar called the Tipsy Tankard. Though neither acknowledged the other's presence, Sarkeesian and Colfin had made sure to take a slow walk back to the loft down busy streets so that the tall half-orc that tailed behind couldn't really be identified as following. The days passed each of them living these new lives they had assumed, all of them always watching, always listening. Summer in Borgen was cold in the morning, humid and warm in the afternoon, and often freezing at night. Weeks passed. 
months. Based on the research Colborn and Mela, begrudgingly, had done, they went on an actual excursion into the mountains. Ketri had been able to sneak away and meet them two days outside of the city. They had heard nothing from Rianok in over three weeks. The expedition lasted a little over a week and a half. Mela was shocked to find the mountains lived up to their reputation. Wild things lived there. Dangerous things inhabited the ruins. There was not a simple summer outing. Swords, magic, and wit were required to survive. They returned to the city dirty, tired, and bruised. Deep into the first night back, Mela woke from a fitful dream. Shadowy figures, daggers, and swords. She was soaked in sweat. Despite the late hour, Colborn sat at a writing desk near one of the dirty street windows, a single candle flickering atop the wood next to him. He was hungered over, most likely reading. Mela kicked off her covers, wiped sweat from her face with a hand, and laid her head back down on her pillow. Her eyes flicked to the candle in the window the one where Sarkeesian's sash hung. Then they shifted to Colborn's back. She watched him for a time. Heavy lids closed. A moment before sleep took her, in the gray space in between, she heard it. Colborn was whispering, probably to himself. But the spacing, the timing... He was talking to someone. Her eyes shot open. She crept from bed so as to not wake any of the others, across the shop to where he sat. Colborn jumped as she placed a hand on his shoulder, but then, seeing it was her relaxed hand grasping his chest, he held up a finger for her to wait. He was listening. A nod, and then... Sarkeesian's going to squeeze you until your ribs crack. It was a happy statement. When can we talk to you again? Mela's heart leapt with anticipation. Another pause to listen. Six days, then. Take care of yourself, lass. It probably wasn't safe. It was probably a bad idea, but Mela ran to the window, looking down to the street. She couldn't make anything out at first, but then something moved. Shadow giving birth to another shadow. But not a shadow at all. It was a short figure wearing a dark cloak. It paused for a moment, and then the hood turned up. There was just enough pre-dawn light for Mela's wondrous eyes to catch it. A lock of red hair. A glint of an eye. Did she just imagine it was dark blue? The figure turned again and passed into the early morning. Mela spun to face Colborn, eyes wide in anticipation, in question. Colborn gave her a stern look, but it cracked quickly into a smile. He winked. Mela burst toward him, wrapping him in a hug, her face pressed into his rough beard. He seemed to tense at first, but then relaxed, accepting the hug, and then returning it. She held on for a spell. Finally, releasing him, 
wiping a tear from her eye. What did she say? Colborne stood, grasping her hand. Let's wake the others. They will want to hear as well. What has Rianach found? And what will the caves below the gray house reveal? Stay tuned next week for part six of The Undying Emerald. <laughs>